this is Bob McDonald, and welcome to Differentiate or Die, the Firebrick Consulting podcast series that focuses on the keys to great positioning. On this edition, Firebrick founder Bob Wright and I are going to be talking about positioning with Jason Hoffman, president and CEO of Mobile Edge X, where he is leveraging his decades of experience in telecommunications and cloud infrastructure to design the future of Mobile Edge services, applications, and devices. Prior to Mobile Edge X, Jason was CTO for digital services at Ericsson, where he led a 30,000-person unit responsible for the company's multinational cloud and data center infrastructure business. While at Ericsson, his group led the market in the modernization of telecom infrastructure and created the world's first hyperscale disaggregated system. Before Ericsson, Jason was CTO and founder of pioneering infrastructure-as-a-service and software provider, Joyent, which is now owned by Samsung. During his 10 years at Joyent, Jason launched the most popular asynchronous runtime, Node.js, the most secure KVM-based virtual machines, and the world's first serverless and first container-as-a-service offering. Bob, where should we start? Jason, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. From your perspective of running leading edge technology companies, what role does positioning play in company success? Well, I mean, positioning is the entire story that you're telling, you know, not just your, your own team, but, you know, the external market, you know, as well. And when you look at any story, having a, a series of narratives, it, it fundamentally it has to motivate people has to inspire people you know because you, you only have you know as as andy grove would say there's only sort of two options in getting people to do things and that's by to train them or motivate them and when you're taking a group of people and having them do something that you know at least either has not been done before or hasn't been done in recent memory uh, before that mission that they're on and who they're on it with is in many ways even more important to them than money you know, that, the, the, you know, from, from a motivated perspective. And to me, positioning is that entire inspirational, motivational story that you're telling, both within your own company and, and to other people as well. And the clearer that is, the more it fits in a framework that, you know, people step back and go, ah, that's unique. And it's unique in terms of, you know, the insight that it gives, the foresight that it has, meaning its ability to sort of, look into the future, and then also in many ways the cross-site that it has, the ability to look across and connect different things, you know, sort of as well. You want people to have that type of experience when they interact with you and the company, you know, because that's, that's, that's actually the emotional point where people take a minute and notice you. How have your thoughts about the importance of positioning changed over the course of your career? You know, what's changed is more almost overarching nature of it. And, you know, what I mean is, you know, my, my original training was, was as a scientist. And there you're always looking at what sort of grand theory are you working with or are you challenging that you go down in increasing details until you're in an area that, you know, hopefully you're the world expert in, right, as you sort of head down in that. But you're always still operating within a structure, a logic, a framework you know, sort of a grand story in that. I mean, I realized even as a young scientist, there was a big difference between the ability to, you know, raise grant money, depending on how you're positioning what you're doing. And, you know, you can see 
one can still be great at an activity like that, yet you can still be a quote unquote great salesman, you know, at it. And, and, and meaning that you're able to sort of come in and understand where people are, still take them on a journey that's inspirational, frame everything out for them in a way that, you know, is like very clear and then just proceed to start filling in those details and knocking those things out. I'd say that that's always been there in things I've done from a professional standpoint. What's happened over the years is I've begun to realize how important this is largely from a human behavior and their attitudes towards things and the emotionality of it. You know, the, the proper positioning and framing of what you're doing is required to get large groups of people to go and execute in, you know, the same way uh, in there and to feel great while doing it. And so I think, you know, it's not so much the technical aspect of positioning and the importance of it, but really that sort of organizational behavior and, you know, motivation and feeling emotionally connected to what you're doing, that triggering that in people is the sort of additional subtlety for me that's been like, aha. And, and we had this, like when we were working together in Erickson, you know, it was very matrix and across the organization and people were coming from entirely different sort of places. And the purpose of that positioning was just to get everybody on the same page, moving in the same direction. There was an organizing force and just make sure people are doing the right thing. Get everybody focused. Yeah, that's interesting because, Jason, you've worked with us multiple times, both at Ericsson and at Joyent. Yeah. These companies are really at two ends of the spectrum. You've got Joint, which is really the classic Silicon Valley startup. And then at Ericsson, oh, yeah. you had a huge business unit that was really a startup within a multi-billion dollar company, but it was still a 30,000 person unit with a multi-product initiative. How did positioning help in both those particular very different instances? Well, in scenarios like, like a Joint where you're, you go from being you know, a few people that know each other and you're working in the same room, the 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, and start heading into hundreds of people. And you get to the point where, you know, not everybody knows each other. And you start having that sort of like transition into not everybody's interviewed by founder of the company anymore because it's just too much. You know, not everybody in different units knows one another. And you have this weird adolescent phase where you have to really frame things for people in terms of what it is that we do, how we're to behave, you know, like what's not okay. And then really, in a in a forward sort of motion perspective, you know, how are we really uniquely presenting ourselves to the market and, you know, getting, getting people to feel great about what they're doing. It is real adolescence phase there that I think proper positioning of everything becomes critical like survive into adulthood mm -hmm. now on the opposite end of the spectrum when you start thinking about okay you know a, a company with 120,000 full-time employees you know anywhere between you know 80 to 100,000 sort of outside contractors help with sort of like various efforts supplier spend that's on the order of like 18 19 20 billion dollars a year just spent with suppliers that are supplying you to stuff you know, having some degree of like a go to market and, you know, er everything is in there. We start heading into the complexity of now having essentially a quarter million people reading sort of what you're doing and feeling as if they're going to be getting a set of like 
activities from you. You have to really be careful about what you say. The, even the advice I give incoming CEOs and you know people that are running a large unit in a say company like that is you know, when you start, just keep your mouth shut a little bit because everything you say, you can't unsay it. And it's going to propagate its way through the system of people, if you will. And it could take one, two, three years, you know, even sort of the length of the time that you're running that to undo like a little comment that you made. And it can be these things of, well, we're not in that business. We're in this business. And then everybody loves to repeat something like that throughout all the ranks. And they start saying it to each other. And then you find out, well, I didn't really mean it that way, guys. It really sort of like this. And so in a large unit, it becomes particularly important to actually sit down and take the time, listen to everybody, give everybody a, a turn to sort of speak up about what it is, truly sort of understand each and every sort of person's perspective around that, and then have not just a positioning, but an implementation point where you're taking all of that into account. And as you're taking people through it, they go, ah, I recognize my part of that, or ah, I feel this, and oh, I feel that. So the, the end result has to be, it is super clear, almost on the level of propaganda as to what everybody's going to sort of like go and do and say and, and the like. And, and there, like I said, it becomes even more important because you can't, you can't take it back once you've said anything. So you have to be very careful about what you say, when you say it, how you say it, and it has to be comprehensive and complete when you sort of lay it out there. And so it, it becomes critical in just not creating a bunch of waste, you know, sort of, if you will. When we worked with you at Ericsson, you had actually broken the problem, if you will, into five different positioning engagements that we did over a two-year period. Yeah. And, and in contrast, you know, even with your joint experience, which of course led to us talking about working again together when you went to Ericsson, you know, Ericsson's a company as, as, as you've been commenting, as Bob was resonating with it, it's a massive company with massive resources. What's your thought about bringing yeah, and, in and massive, and massive challenges and massive <laughs> challenges, but yeah. What's your thought about bringing in an outside resource like Firebrick to facilitate and manage a positioning process instead of doing it completely in-house with all of those uh, it's, it's people a, that are there? When I look around, every, you know, every, every Olympic athlete has a coach, right? And at the very least, they have a team. So it's, it's very normal to sit down and say, hey, you know what? I want to compete at the high level of, say, this sport. And, you know, in any sort of sport, you're using your brain, too, and your nervous system and all the muscles in your body and the bones and being sort of like highly coordinated around what you're doing. So, you know, anything we do in life requires the physicality of the human body to go execute on it. And yet when you sit down and say, I'm going to go compete at sort of the highest physical level, uh, what do you have? You have a coach that's helping you with the technicalities of what you're doing, how you're moving a bar, how you're throwing somebody, how you're throwing a, a putt. You have somebody that's helping you with your conditioning. You have somebody that's helping you make stronger. You have somebody that's helping you with your mobility. You have somebody that's helping you with your recovery. If somebody's helping you with your diet, you may or have one or two sort of sports medicine physicians helping with sort of this. It's sometimes normal to have a 12-person team really supporting somebody who's operating at a high level like that. People don't do this themselves. You know, they'll have somebody who's then helping them with the performance aspects of what they're doing mentally 
and, and so on like that. If you really need help, whether it be with, oh, you want to compete physically in something like, you know, an, an Olympic sport, you know, oh, your, your relationship's not going so great. Oh, you want to go and do this? Go, go, go seek external help. It's what external help is for. And it's actually very normal to have high quality coaching and help and that perspective and the like. I mean, you, just, you have to have it. You look at things where when I came into a place like an Ericsson, I was the only non-Ericsson micro American, the level that I was at. And even though I was quote unquote external, you pretty quickly become not that. And everything, even people will sit there and go, well, maybe that perspective of his isn't objective. It's really trying to accomplish what his KPIs are around this and that and so on. You immediately head into those sort of spots. So it's always best to get external help because anybody who operates or functions at a high level gets external help. And you can, you can take that example across any area you want to. That's great, Jason. And from your perspective, then, that external help being Firebrick, from your experience of Firebrick, what makes Firebrick different and distinctive? Well, I mean, you know, it's funny because you, you, I've, I've only ever worked with you guys around this topic. You know, look, it's, it's one of these ones where you guys have this great sort of, besides just the demeanor and the way that you do things and everything else, there's process really that is this, it's a little bit like when you see these, you know, what it feels like for Mr. Rogers to walk in the room. It just, it just disarms everybody. And everybody sits down and feels listened to. And then you guys have this great habit of coming back on the following day, following days and saying, well, what we really saw was this. And, and most people sit there and go, oh, Jesus, that's, that's the best description I've ever heard of our company. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. And then, but then it's difficult for people to actually get past a lot of the things that they have to get past and actually listen to each other. And then go and, and take the time to sit down and say, okay, let's step back from like who we are and what we do on a day-to-day basis and what my unit does. And really, how are we going to sort of craft a great story from that? And, and I haven't come across anybody that, that, that does it the way that you guys do it or how that you do it. So I don't really have a comparison. Regrettable. Or maybe it's not regrettable. I don't know. But, but. Yeah. Um, you know, w- w- one more uh, story from our time of working with you at Ericsson. Uh, at one point, the message reached us that one of your executive colleagues had commented that the company was getting more value from a firebrick engagement than from an engagement with a very well-known global management consulting firm that charged many more times than what we did for an engagement. Uh, what do you think were the elements of, of, of what that executive had been responding to from the work that we had been doing with you? It's very hard to not drive complexity into something. There's nothing like complex and difficult to understand that's also inspirational, I, I guess. Yet, you don't ever want to not tell the, the truth or, you know, or you sort of have, you know, the, the Messiah product or, or, or something like that. that. That's not sort of true either. So the ability to sort of sit down and say, you know, at the core of what it is that we're doing really sort of comes down to these things and this sort of set. And, and so on. It, it's a lot of work to make things simpler and to frame them well. You have to go up a level from where you are, your own sort of spot, take more into account, you know, and so on. And that's not what the usual consulting firm does. The usual consulting firm is trying to really sort of detail the complexity of the spot that you're on and almost deal with 
weird edge cases and the like. And then it's really easy for people to, and, and look, we, we all see this all the time. Someone sits down and says, well, you know, you, this thing and that thing and this thing. And you're like, well, yeah, but that's, that's happened one time out of a thousand contracts. And now you're saying that, you know, it's going to consume 20% of people's time with these resources. Da, 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 and, you know, well, but it's a big, you know, risk on this. And, you know, you start heading down those sort of complexity holes. There's not a single complex thing that's ever been described that anybody finds inspirational ever. You have an impressive track record of bringing new technologies to market, disrupting categories, creating, <laughs> creating the future. <laughs> and yeah. my question is, why is it important for category creators to shift from a product first mentality to a customer first focus for their positioning efforts. Could you comment on that? Yeah. I mean, my general comment is, I mean, there are people that, there are people that are, that don't do that or that's a problem. The customers are who, who you do everything for in the absence of somebody willing to ring that cash register again and again and again and again, and truly finding value in their relationship with you. You don't have a company. I don't care how clever you think you are or what thing you basically come up with. Unless it's a, you know, the three of us have a high frequency trading system algorithm. This sort of runs on that. We're making an extra penny on this type of thing. Unless you're in some weird niche that doesn't require human decision making or human relationships to sort of go and uh, do what it is that you're doing. It doesn't matter what you think or what little genius thing you've come up with. Nobody cares. No one cares. Jason, thank you so much for joining Bob Wright and me for this edition of Differentiate or Die. We invite you all to enjoy our whole series of podcasts, which can be found on the Firebrick Consulting website, firebk.com. This is Bob McDonald signing off for Firebrick.